This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. The COVID-19 pandemic presented church leaders with one of the most arduous tests of leadership in over a century. The early days of the pandemic were marked by a historical level of uncertainty, anxiety, and fear. The stakes were literally life and death. Churches lost not just members to the virus, but also pastoral staff. At the same time, the pandemic took away fundamental practices that define the body of Christ, such as worship, communion, and baptism, as well as the building blocks which form and sustain communities within larger congregations, such as youth and small groups. The pandemic created a monumental challenge for American churches and pastors that, in many cases, precipitated a leadership crisis. While many leaders showed tremendous courage and compassion amidst the initial uncertainty and chaos, they tired over time, especially as loneliness and weariness set in. Where leadership weakness was present, the pandemic exposed it, sometimes with devastating consequences. Welcome to COVID and the Church. I'm your host, Aaron Hill, editor of Church Salary, a ministry of Christianity Today. Join us as we unpack the results of Church Salary and Arbor Research Group's landmark study on the impact of COVID-19 on the American church. Download your free copy and follow along with our discussion by visiting churchsalary.com slash COVID study. To discuss this theme, I'm joined by two researchers from the Arbor Research Group, Brent Sickle and Dr. Terry Linhart, CEO of Arbor Research Group. Brent Sickle is the Executive Pastor of Ministry at Wheaton Bible Church, located in West Chicago, Illinois. Brent has served in ministry for almost two decades and has been a research consultant with Arbor since 2015. Brent, welcome. Terry, welcome back. Yeah, great to be here. I'm excited for uh, this conversation, especially with Brent joining us. Yeah, it's exciting to be a part and converse about what we've learned over the last year and a half. Terry, when we began this study, one of our animating questions was to quantify whether pastors were retiring or leaving the ministry in droves. The term that was flying around in 2021 was the Great Resignation. Right off the bat in this chapter, you tackle this question— Walk me through your conclusions and insights. Did pastors experience a great resignation? Well, it's a, a dreaded answer, I, I think, Aaron, of yes and no. There's, it's a nuanced <laughs> one as we dove into it a little bit, but it certainly was alarming enough that Brent decided to go and do an additional level of research that he's going to talk about today for the project because churches did experience an increase in one or more pastors resigning or retiring. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, uh, about 22% of churches saw their staff increase, about the same saw it decrease, and most of them stayed the same. But about 20% of pastors saw their job title change as a result of the pandemic, and there were changes of people leaving. One of the things that certainly came to light in some of the analysis that you did in this area was really instrumental looking at the the data here, is that the group that was affected most were the younger pastors were also associate pastors as well. Mm. And it kind of resonated with an alarm that we had before we started, things we had heard, but we started to see that uh, baby boomer pastors are continuing to retire and exit uh, the pastorate very fast. You know, you can go to any denominational gathering and look around the room and think, oh, this is an older group of people here. And so 
the call is, where's the younger pastors, the Gen X, the millennial pastors? And then you look down into Christian universities and seminaries, and you think there are really fewer young candidates that are interested in vocational ministry, especially through the seminary. So that combined with what we talked about earlier, that pastors had considered quitting, some are still considering quitting as well. And then we did a cool little thing about people who are skipping questions and what was going on with that. And we found out that 20% of that group were still considering the pastor and they were just not wanting to engage the survey much. So, you know, it, it just, it creates a little bit of an alarm for those of us like me who invest in the next generation of people in ministry and just think, mm. okay, where are we going to develop this bench? And how are we going to, again, elevate the idea of being in vocational ministry over the next five to 10 years? So one of the first types of leadership crises that we uncovered, we've grouped under the heading of resignations and retirements. Normally, a pastor retiring isn't necessarily a crisis, and even a resignation can be pretty seamless if the church has advance notice. The metaphor that we talked about in the chapter was an Olympic track relay where runners have to pass the baton. Brent, how did COVID impact churches in terms of resignations and retirements? Yeah, I think we saw before that not only was COVID this great revealer, it revealed mm-hmm. the tensions that were looming beneath the surface, uh, burnout, weariness, stress. COVID was also the great accelerator and that it added fuel to these tensions that for some, this point was no longer tenable. And so we mm-hmm. see both these resignations and retirements taking place. And then not only did those take place, but then how those impacted churches long-term is still being seen. So like in resignation retirement, for many, this was the last resort. That was their way out. They dealt mm. with the compounding stresses, the burnout, the weariness, the stress became too much. And so even though they might've originally planned to minister long past a normal retirement age, they really saw the strain and the impact of COVID really cut that short and, and see retirement mm. as a way that was time for their exit. I think the other thing we saw is just in the transition, specifically senior pastor transitions, even when they're done well, are still stressful and fraught with so many landmines for new and current staff, as well as the congregation as they navigate those transitions. The impact that COVID had, which had many pastors transition during a time frame where the congregation and staff weren't meeting in person. And so mm. pastors and, and churches in that transition time frame are, oh, so how do you build relationships when people aren't in person? Uh, how do you lead yeah. or influence a changing culture when you all remote. I specifically have uh, two pastors I know. Uh, first was a pastor who accepted a call to a, a new congregation that had already been through a rough season. And in his first week as pastor, the shutdown occurred. Mm. So he arrives and everything shuts down. And he's asked to lead through all the tough COVID decisions that we all walk through without relationship or presence uh, with this new congregation. And so talk about a tough situation to walk into. Yeah. A second pastor that uh, I know is a worship pastor and similarly took a a new worship role as the pandemic began. And he struggled to connect because of the remote nature of ministry and ultimately left and moved back to his hometown because of all those stressors. Uh, Yeah, a lot of the stories and interviews that we focused on in this chapter, you just see these situations where the church did the best it could, the pastor did the best it could, but the worst possible timing in terms of a pastoral transition to occur. Aaron, one of the things that was interesting on this project was that we had done focus groups for another project at CT for preaching today. And we had two people in these focus groups randomly selected out of over a thousand that were in those previous focus groups. One of those was a worship pastor and Brent's comment reminded me of this. And I remember a year 
prior, he was just entering into what Brent was describing. This is not the same person. Mm. But, you know, those tough leadership positions, that questioning of, am I in the right place uh, as an associate? Do I fit here? This is hard. And then a year later, he's in this focus group. And I said, oh, I remember you. And I happened to lead both of them, too, which is also ironic. And, he, and I said, how's it going? He says, we're still in it. Like a year later, they're still working wow. through some of these issues. And I think that's really important in this chapter as we talk today is how can we help our pastors and our pastoral tone and our churches, you know, become a healthy culture yeah. of nurture and support. So the the second type of leadership crisis that we identified, we grouped that under the category of adaptation and change. And this kind of fits with what you guys are talking about. Again, adaptation and change doesn't necessarily have to be a crisis, but walk me through the findings that you came across here, Terry. One of the things you talked about previously was we asked a question, has the size of your paid church staff changed since the beginning of the pandemic? And uh, interestingly, we found basically 22 to 23% increased, 22 to 23% decreased, and about 55% stayed the same. And so we had this interesting situation where some jobs evaporated, some pastors got let go, but then they moved to other positions. But uh, all of that creates challenges. So what was it about this time period that made adaptation and change harder and set people up for these crises? One of the things that was exposed, I think, was a pastoral role that was very specific and siloed, if you will, and rather Mm -hmm. than a more generalist approach. And I think Brent can correct me here from his work with the the staffing agencies, but one of the things that happened was a modification of expectations and roles. And so that was interesting that, you know, 20 or so percent of all church leaders said their titles changed, 53% over half reported that their responsibilities changed. And those responsibilities were, as you can expect, 70% had the increase their technological responsibilities, learning how to lead and equip and coordinate through an online ministry, a whole new set mm-hmm. of skills, especially at churches for whom technology was brand new. It was you know, more significant than those churches that were already at a certain level of tech savviness. 64%, about two-thirds, took on more administrative duties rather mm-hmm. than you know direct ministry. So they were coordinating largely because they were at distance. 53%, about half, took on more pastoral care. We've talked about that before. The supervision of volunteers was new for some, and others had to learn how to teach and preach and speak through online means, whether in a large group, a Sunday morning, a weekend service, or even a small group. And so those changes are are to be expected. It's that chart you you made, Aaron, about uh, the title changing, where they kind of intersect in that age 25 to 34 range, that those mm. who are in that age felt the most pressure in their their changes. And and one, one pastor said that the last couple of years have definitely called his vocation into question. They love preaching and discipling, but all the other garbage that went along with it was really difficult. And so, uh, you know, those those type of changes, I think, are persisting today. And Brent, I don't know what you're doing at your church, too, if you've seen changes, but you know, I'd be curious to see where you are right now if there have been things that started during the pandemic that have carried over here post-pandemic. Yeah, definitely. We've seen it with the staffing this dramatic shift away from the attractional focused programming that maybe we were accustomed to carrying out, especially as larger churches, uh, this program specific Mm. thing that COVID really stripped away and the priorities became care for our congregation and then the content or the preaching of the word or the teaching aspect of it. And the, the hard part though is a lot of our church structures and models and staffing 
didn't fit that. I think it also fits, though, with even some of our things we've talked about in the broader church understanding of this wave of refocusing of discipleship in the church and realizing mm. that discipleship doesn't necessarily take place in programmatic aspects, but is carried out all these different ways and, and, and carried out through being with our congregation. So we've asked a lot of our staff to have a shift away from a, a specified skill set to being just mm. a, a more general shepherd to our people. And so teaching them to have a presence with our people, uh, teaching them to step into both pastoral and discipleship conversations and seeing how that fits. So that's one part of it. I think, Terry, you hit earlier too, just the, the impact on the younger staff, especially those in churches that don't have dedicated technological staff that worship and youth pastors really felt the load of carrying the technological aspects of the church through COVID. I mean, uh, I remember talking with consultants and one of them quoted that the youth and the worship pastors were charged with innovating the church 30 years and 30 days regarding technology. <laughs> that's a huge load. I mean, so many of them, they yeah. love technology, but that's not their expertise. Uh, yeah. And so to carry that on, and then once we had the reopening of in-person services, they were asked to go back and do their normal job and still carry that. Yeah. And many of them also are the ones that said, hey, I don't feel as well cared for by the church financially and other mm. ways that we do that. And so those are just hard things to wrestle through that they love their church, they love their people, they love what God's doing, but the burden just was was really heavy for them. And, and Aaron, just to build on what Brent was saying there, you asked about quantifying this. So we asked, have the responsibilities that you perform changed since the beginning of the pandemic? 40%, nearly 40%, actually 39.6, right? 40% of the churches said yes as a result of changes connected to the pandemic. My title has changed. Another 13% said their responsibilities have changed that's disconnected from the pandemic. So that's nearly half of churches, yeah. people responding have seen significant changes. And that still probably persists to this day, a lot of those changes, like Brent was illustrating. So all these changes, all this adaptation, Brent, this led to our third type of leadership crisis that we focused on, which we categorized under increased turnover. Because turnover is so hard to quantify, we actually asked you, we deputized you to go out and interview the leaders of several prominent Christian staffing agencies that work alongside churches to help them fill vacant pastoral positions. We felt like they'd have a good sense of what was going on, were they seeing increased turnover. So what did you learn or uncover in terms of the increased turnover that was caused by COVID? Yeah, I think turnover was a result of all these rapidly changing responsibilities, the additional technological, administrative, pastoral care duties, which were immediately added to our staff with no time for equipping, just were a huge burden. And like I said before, these responsibilities didn't stop once we were back in person. Mm. They continued on top of the in-person ministry. And so that left a, a good portion of our staff and our ministers feeling like they were overworked and underappreciated. It's not like they felt like the church, the people themselves, but just the workload led to a mass staffing exodus, especially among our younger leaders. I think the other part of it then has been the realization that as I've talked with our consultants that even as people were in transition, even those who decided that I want to stay in ministry but want to transition roles, as they've been having conversations about new roles, many of the consultants said as they're talking with these young leaders, they're realizing that what's best for them in this next season is for them to get some, some care themselves. And they've actually mm. sent more to get counseling than they have in placements. So not only did the pool drop, but the health of the pool 
has been weakened. And so it's led to a longer turnaround in, in the hiring process going from about nine months to 18 months. It's resulted in pools that are half the number of people looking for roles, trying to fill twice yeah. as many positions that are available. And so it's put us at a deficit. And then that deficit is felt by the individual churches as well, because the rest of the staff have to share those burdens when those roles are open. And so one of the things we're dealing with as a residual effect is with the rest of the staff carrying that burden in pieces or parts, but uh, adding to their weight, or just aspects of ministry or care for people being dropped completely in different areas. As we've discussed in previous episodes, talking about our findings and statistics isn't enough. We need to listen to the stories of leaders who live through these crises. However, as anyone who's served on a leadership team and ministry can attest, the full story of your time and your trials, as well as your recovery on the other side, is a lengthy discussion, longer than we can capture in a single podcast interview. But to give you a taste, consider how the following abridged testimonies might inform you and your church as you wrestle with the impact of COVID-19 on leaders and leadership structures at your church. Hey everyone, my name is Donovan Beyer. I live in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Our study is called The Impact of COVID-19 on the American Church, and I can't help but notice that you are located in Canada. I am. But you participated in the study, and when I read your quote, it really resonated with me. Mm. Part of what we've been talking about in this episode is how COVID impacted leaders, and in many cases, it accelerated the timing of their retirement or their transition. In other cases, for pastors, it felt like this was just the last bend in the road for them in their current position. And so your quote resonated with me because you shared about how you have a heart for unity. And during the pandemic, you just found yourself unable to think with nuance and grace, and you felt constantly attacked for not taking a side, which we talked about in a previous episode. So can you share that story? Can you unpack that journey for me? Yeah, it was a long journey, but in a nutshell, I'd been a pastor at this church for about eight years. I'd taken a sabbatical a year before COVID hit. And my wife and I had kind of actually started asking, you know, should we be looking into something new? We weren't sure, but we did feel like there had already been a bit of a stirring into a new direction. And then when COVID hit, I actually said, no, I'm going to put my roots down. I'm going to work hard. We're going to get through this. And it is interesting that you specified we're in Canada, but I think a lot of the same struggles happened here that happened in America. I think (laughs) across the board, absolutely, (laughs) a lot of the same stuff. And in some ways, the response to COVID here in Canada was so intense. And I found as a pastor, my job had almost become interpreting the COVID rules and making sure that we're following them. But also, like you had said, being the bearer of bad news to the congregation So my role was worship pastor and young adults pastor at the time. And so the first thing that I found is that my role kind of shifted from that to like technology pastor. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't able to do the actual work of pastoring people because I was spending so much of my time setting up the live stream and making sure that everything was working. And on top of that, I just noticed people were so critical of what was happening. And and it was really hard for me. I kind of say this is a joke, but At the same time, it's a sign of how bad things were. We once got a complaint that the live stream was too loud. And I was like, well, you're the one in your living room that could turn it down. (laughs) It was kind of funny. 
And then another time we got a complaint that your singers are standing too close together on the stage. And I'm like, oh my goodness. It was just that sort of thing where I was like, you can't win, right? And so that was just really difficult. And um, and I think the other thing that happened is, and this is more, a lot of this had to do with my own heart and insecurities, but I had become so busy with the task and with trying to please everybody that I kind of neglected the actual work of being a pastor. And uh, there was one particular individual in my congregation who he's severely autistic and his mom reached out to me and said, you know, we'd love for you to connect with him. And it took me like a month before I was able to connect with this person. And I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, this is the most important thing is the people. But for whatever reason, I've just gotten so overwhelmed with the task. And so that went on for about four or five months. And I actually had to take a stress leave. It was actually really God's timing because the the chairman of the board at the time at our church was a psychiatrist. And so when I met with him, he basically was like, yeah, you need to take this time and get better. And it was during that time that God really solidified in me that there was a transition that needed to take place. And it's interesting because it wasn't, don't hear that it was out of a place of anger at the church or frustration with my role. God had to bring me to this place of being completely broken and completely open to his leading. And it was in that place that he was able to get me to the point of taking a step of faith. And the, uh, the crazy thing is during the stress leave, not only did God do a lot of deep healing in my heart and help me see, yeah, there was a lot of issues and disunity and anger and fear and frustration, but I was able to forgive and I was able to realize like a lot of people were responding out of their own hurt and their own frustration. Like, so in some ways he was able to give me a lot of grace for the people, mm. but also, like I said, he was able to give me the strength to take a step of faith. It's kind of funny. So during my stress leave, I had decided that I was going to re- resign and, um, I hadn't told anyone this. And then the day that I got back, the first thing the other pastors say is we're going to have a meeting on Wednesday. And the whole point of this meeting is to figure out our five-year plan. And I'm like, well, (laughs) so it was really God's timing because I reached out to some close friends and and I was like, what am I supposed to do? What should I say? And they were like, it sounds like this is your Indiana Jones moment. This is your step off the cliff. So it was crazy because I shared at that meeting that that God was going to lead me to a new direction and that I was supposed to to leave the church. And again, it wasn't from this place of hurt. I dealt with a lot of that. COVID had brought me to that place where I was able to be at the end of my rope. But the crazy thing is a couple months after that meeting, I hadn't given the final kind of time I was leaving. And I also hadn't gotten a job yet. So I was at the point where I was like, if I leave, I'm going to go into nothing. I can't afford to live without a job. And wildly enough, this is just God's amazing providence. There was one day where I just said, well, I'm going to send in a letter of resignation and it's just, I'm just going to trust that God's got this. And so I send in my letter of resignation. I get a call from the senior pastor. He, he says, are you sure this is your last chance? You know, if you want to stick around. And I said, I'm sure I know that God's in this. And I kid you not, within an hour of that conversation, the guy from Resurgence called me to say, hey, we want to offer you a job. (laughs) It was one of those like wild, just God caught me. And uh, the way it worked out was amazing. I was able to leave the church really well. I was able to set up the next people for the different areas that I oversaw. And I was really able to, um, I don't know, like I I was able to get ordained before I left. And the church kind of sent me into my ministry role with this new organization. So they're kind of like a ascending church for me. It's actually a really cool story. It's a story of God's redemption. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, that's uh that's that's exciting. That's it's good to hear that. So I know that you're serving now as the associate director of Resurgence Initiative. 
Can you tell me a little bit about what your new role looks like? Yeah, it's been amazing. In some ways, the things that I enjoy most about pastoring, I'm now doing just at a citywide level instead of just a congregational level. And so I get to preach regularly. I get to lead worship regularly. And those are just, I just love doing those things. But what I really loved about being a pastor was like that one-to-one discipleship and really pouring into small groups of people. And so with my leadership team, I get to invest in them and I get to pastor them and I get to really help build the team and grow into them and invest into them as leaders, but also knowing that they're plugged into their own local churches. So the the hope is that all the discipleship that I'm doing with them, they see in their own local churches is paying off. So that's part of the for me personally, what I love so much about it. The other thing that God's given me is always, I've always had a heart for ecumenical ministry, for seeing churches from different denominations coming together and laying aside our differences for the purpose of Mm. exalting Jesus. And so that's one of the, the real exciting things about this new role is my job is to facilitate these meetings. And so whether it's our monthly worship gathering where we've got people from 14 to 16 different denominations every time we gather, or whether we're doing a week of prayer and fasting, we're calling the whole city to to prayer. It's just an expression of, of unity, an expression of coming together, an expression of really exalting Jesus for the purpose of uh, him transforming our hearts. And wow. so that's really exciting. And I guess the other thing that I get to do that I love is, is I get to walk alongside with pastors. I think and this is something I wasn't expecting in my role, but because of the objectivity that I'm able to bring to a lot of conversations, mm. there's been a few pastors that have walked through difficult times and they've reached out to me and just said, hey, can I, can I talk? You know, and so it's kind of been this cool door that God's opened. And even though I'm not, you know, I pastored, I didn't pastor for too long, but I walked through a lot while I pastored. And so I'm able to walk yeah. with younger pastors, especially now and serve them and hopefully encourage them as best as I can. So Terry, our last two types of leadership crises, we've identified five and we cover them in the chapter. They kind of overlap. The fourth is pastors who were fired or forced out. And the fifth one we've categorized as infighting or falling apart. Walk me through our findings here in terms of firings or people being forced out and infighting. What did we come across and how did these situations impact churches? God is a genius storyteller. And the evidence of this is threaded throughout scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Yeah, so I teach qualitative research at the grad level. And one of the things I always tell my students is that if they're not surprised when they do a research project, then they haven't done as well as they could, meaning that we always bring a lot of biases to a project and we create rules for how we do research. And sometimes there are surprises that pop up. And this was one of them for me. 
because I didn't know of a church that had experienced what we were seeing when we were talking to pastors across the country. And that's one of the things that we've all been careful to talk about. You've mentioned a few times is that just because something is our experience doesn't mean it's the same experience for the church down the street. And there were very sharp divisions in some churches. Some churches are still recovering from that. For example, several pastoral leaders shared stories of staff quitting or being fired over vaccine mandates and masking disagreements. We've talked about that in earlier episodes. One of the things that was surprising was to see a, a standoff among staff, church leaders and congregation. And one, in one case, a music director's ultimatum to church leaders, it's me or them, caused the senior pastor to be fired. You know, So it's just those type of infighting was very difficult. And it was kind of surreal for me. And, and one of the things that you wrote in, in the chapter was that the enemies that we wound in these cultural war skirmishes within the church are seated next to us in the pews. They're our fellow congregants. And so the gates of hell didn't destroy churches, but saints turned their weapons on each other. I thought that was really powerful. And, and one of the things I think that is important for all this series of podcasts and the research that we've been doing here to say, okay, what, why? You know, now we know all this information about what happened. What can we do going forward? How can we get healthier? And, and what can we do as a church to become a, a true community that follows Christ together with a kingdom mentality? And we did get caught up in some culture wars. And, you know, we've got another election cycle here in America coming next year. And the church is yeah. going to have to be ready. I was with a couple of pastors last week that mentioned they've already started talking about that, how they're going to be able to elevate the church above the temporary. And you know, one of the other surprising things was that the pastors and congregations composed of people who reacted neither positively nor negatively. So these were neutral to the pandemic mm-hmm. health measures. They tend to experience fewer changes to pastoral titles and responsibilities. They considered quitting less often. They had fewer concerns and they coped better with the daily stress. That neutral central. So even churches that were real positive towards that, those pastors tended to feel and I don't know what this means, but they tended to have a little more unrest as to what their future was in their roles. We definitely expect it from negative reactions to that. But yeah, to me, that just speaks of, you know, really good, healthy checks and balances in authority, yeah. in decision-making, in community building. Yeah, we, we don't explicitly call this out in the chapter, but after finishing it and doing some more thinking, I definitely feel like this is a situation where social media was an asset and has been an asset in some ways to churches. But you can see where in situations in the past, you give access to the youth pastor to get up and make announcements on Sunday morning, or the ability to communicate to the entire congregation can be an asset in terms of running the church and operating ministries and stuff like that. But when a conflict arises between staff members, and you have the ability of a junior staff or, or different members of the staff to take sides in a very public way on social media— And that all plays out in a channel or communication channel that the church, the senior pastor has no control over. It's just a a different kind of challenge that I think churches are facing. Something that can be positive can so quickly turn in, uh, be a negative thing. Well, I think think one of the tough things with it too, we saw is that not only do we see a loss of staff members, whether it's fired or forced out, but we also saw some staff members using a certain issue to leave Mm -hmm. and, and plant a church down the road. And so not only does that split the church, but the focus of that plant isn't necessarily on discipleship or a multiplication growth for the kingdom, but it's us fighting against each other over issues that are not primary to the gospel. Yeah. The hardest stories were the ones that followed this pattern where Mm -hmm. essentially a battle ensued among the staff. 
they took different stances on things often, you know, over pandemic health measures. A few of them were over uh, social topics, the George Floyd protests. Pastors feel led to leave the church and take a stand, and then they end up planting a church down the street or taking a job down the street, and the congregation kind of splits between uh, churches. And that's not something that only ever happened during the pandemic. Those kinds of things have happened before, but we definitely heard a number of stories that follow that pattern. Uh, Brent, you have some personal experience here. A number of the pastors who participated in our study talked about how heavy the burden of leadership was during the pandemic. One of them described it as beyond exhausting. How did the pandemic complicate and increase the stakes of being a church leader? Well, I think most pastors and church leaders would say we weren't prepared for this. So even though may have had a church history class in school, pandemic church ministry was not part of our training. <laughs> I caught myself trying to go back and read some of the different pastors and writers during the Spanish flu to just try to gain a little bit of perspective. Oh, but wow. that, was, that was all self-education there and, <laughs> and stuff, but we just said it's not part of it. And so we didn't know what to do. And I know specifically for me, the role I had, everyone was looking to the pastor for answers in the church not just for spiritual answers, but for health, for governmental, for political answers as well. And so multiple decisions had to be made every day with this ever-changing information and regulations. And no matter what decision we made as pastors, we were both right and wrong at the same time. Uh, mm. And the hard part was such little grace was shown from the church and from our culture and walking through those decisions of just not knowing so we saw that also as a pastor in a larger church. I had pastors from all over the community contacting our church and seeking our large church expertise on, and asking us what to do, thinking that we would know more, which we don't. Uh. Uh, <laughs> we are in the same boat. Uh, we're leading into new waters just as every other church that we had never navigated before. And so the reality is we were all walking that together, but it was exhausting. I mean, you have the whole concept of decision fatigue. Mm. I mean, I had talked with some pastors and some, even my staff, that every day were trying to update their policy to come back to in-person as those regulations were going out. And I just sat back. I go, I can spend every day trying to answer these questions, or I could just listen and say, what are the questions that keep coming up that we want to eventually ask? But it just was, it was tiresome. And not to mention that you had a variety of pastors and staff that were walking through having COVID themselves during this time and not really understanding the impact of that physically as they're leading their congregations. Allison, and I'm an associate pastor at a little church located in Seattle. Allison, in our survey, respondents shared accounts of sometimes losing multiple staff members or having breakups within the staff. Sometimes these were tied directly to COVID. Sometimes COVID was just sort of a precipitating or aggravating factor. In the chapter on leadership crises, there's a pretty compelling quote from you about your church that was very young at the time, losing your senior pastor, and then talking about the heartbreak of that on top of everything else that was going on with COVID politics and the election and the racial discourse. And you said in your quote, it's absolutely extraordinary to me that we survived, found our footing and are beginning to flourish again. 
I'm sure it's hard to talk about all this, but can you unpack that story for us? What what happened during the pandemic? Yeah, for every church, I think they stepped into 2020 with their own particular context. And for us, we're, gosh, just over three years old when the doors shut and the government guidelines came in effect. We were young and nimble, and we had a lot of confidence as a leadership team to be creative and find solutions. So we entered 2020 just optimistically and probably naively also. So we started doing the pivots that every other church was doing. We established a food bank. We found new purposes. We found new ways to do ministry. As the year wore on, though, so did the adjacent cultural issues that you mentioned, Mm -hmm. like the race uh, disruption and the election issues. And for us in the Seattle area, those actually felt really escalated. We had the first American COVID deaths happened at our neighborhood hospital. Oh, wow. So right away, we were right in the thick of COVID. Also, with the racial unrest, we had riots and protests leaking not just on our city streets, but into our suburbs. And Mm. it gave us all a feel that the year was packed full of things that displaced our peace, just exchanged peace for anxiety. And as ministry leaders, it was hard to find unity in our flock. There was lots of dissension. Our pastor ordinarily was a very popular guy and well-regarded, well-respected and loved, but his inbox slowly started filling up with criticism and complaint, and there was no offset to that. There was no congregational gatherings where you have those really sweet foyer conversations, you know, full of encouragement or preaching to a room full of people who love you. It was more like preaching to a camera and Mm. not receiving much in return. So there was no offset to that stress. At the time, what we didn't know that we do know now is that the biggest threat to us was not the government's mandates or masks. Uh, It was something called sexual misconduct, and it was happening inside our church walls, not outside of it. And it was happening within our staff as well. So um, we've, we've talked and we've learned a lot about pastoral stress during that time. And again, like I said, there was no offset to that. Something else that was unique about COVID and during the, the shutdown is that guardrails that were ordinarily in place, keeping a pastor's integrity in line, mm-hmm. either fell away or they needed to be updated. <laughs> so for example, our pastor was was in good relationship with his mentor. They, they would meet for lunch every Wednesday back in the day when things were normal. When COVID happened and social distancing started being the order of the day, they took those meetings to an occasional phone call. And our pastor's counseling went online. It went on to a Zoom format. And those things are great in a pinch, but over time, they do not replace the vulnerability 
and the true communication that can come with body language and eye contact. Mm. So I think that guardrails that had been established never got retrofitted for a pandemic. And this is going to eventually, as you know, lead to like really a bad place for this pastor of ours. Something else that had happened that needed to be managed was stay-at-home orders. Most of our staff, there were six of us, we all worked from home, except for our pastor who felt like he was more efficient working in the office away from his three little children. He had better Wi-Fi connection in the office. So he made an excuse to like work from the office and the rest of us work from home which is fine until he also felt like it would be more, uh, uh, I don't know, efficient to have his XP work with him as well. So while everyone else was staying at home, the lead pastor and the XP were working side by side. Ordinarily, that wouldn't have been uh, a good idea. It wasn't a good idea ultimately. And yet at the time, I think people were making decisions that seemed okay and reasonable. And then in addition to everything else, it just served to be his undoing. So uh, what we know now that we all found out in November of 2020 was that Uh, began with an emotional connection and led to uh, him asking for unwanted sexual contact. And overnight, that was discovered. It had been going on for six months. And then in November, we lost two of our senior leaders. And the the remnant (laughs) that was left behind we are absolutely traumatized and needing to shepherd a grieving flock through what was yet another heartbreak for them. I feel like 2020 had broken our hearts in a million different ways already. And 2020 gave us a million different reasons to lose trust and to have anxiety And so this little flock was almost completely devastated when Mm. this was found out. Wow. I know that that is, I know how hard that is because I had to go through something like that myself in my previous position. I had only been on staff for about a year and we had a, a similar situation losing our senior pastor. When the dust settled, I looked around, it was me and, and, and four other full-time pastors. And I was, I was only 20, 28, I think at the time. And here I am trying to help shepherd this, what was actually a fairly large church. So I know that COVID didn't conjure that out of thin air, but as you said, it, it seems like it sort of removed some guardrails, created the circumstances in which that, uh, that could occur. After everything that happened, after the dust has settled, You said in your quote that you're beginning to flourish again. Talk to me about that. Is there any beauty from the ashes that you've experienced? There is beauty from ashes. We're coming up on three years now since our uh, discovery day, the day that broke our hearts. And there were probably two solid years of lament and anger 
and processing and prayer, individual counseling, staff counseling. <laughs> we've offered counseling to our flock. Then we've repeated the cycle of lament and, and prayer and anger. We've done some reading and learning. We just absolutely love Church Called Tove mm. and have implemented many of its suggestions. And then after the two years of all of that mess and healing, God brought us a leader, a new pastor, who already had read Church Called Tove, had already experienced his own church wins, had aligned with us, understood where we were in our healing process, and then joined us in our healing process. And he's leading the way with humility, which is beautiful. He's leading us towards greater discipleship. Now, instead of our focus being growth, mm. fiscal uh, you know, security, outward markers of success, he's leading us to develop our relationship with the Lord now. So he's having us do spiritual practices, emphasis on discipleship. And I feel like that shift in focus is setting us up for just a different kind of future, right? Like mm -hmm. that individually, we're in line with where the Lord's voice is, where his heart is. Uh, we're becoming more like him. We're doing what, he, what Jesus did. And it feels like that's leading us into a better space, even if we don't grow more, mm -hmm. which is very much... Uh, a flip of the script <laughs> from where we were before, honestly. I think we were um, distracted by markers of success back in the day. And that's why COVID hit so hard for our pastor in particular, was that there's no one in the room. It's, you know, mm -hmm. it's really hard to have a resurgence and to fill the room when you have to be six feet apart. So, yeah, I think our our focus has shifted, and the Lord has just gently blessed us. I mean, it's not like, you know, people are lined up down the block or anything, but our room is full. Our children's ministry is full. We had our first vacation Bible school this summer, first ever. So, like, we're growing in new ways, beautiful ways, gentle, Christ-like ways. And I feel like that is just glorifying him so much more and in better ways than I could have ever dreamed. Hello, my name is Kevin Larson, and I'm the lead pastor at Karis Church in Columbia, Missouri. Kevin, this is a difficult topic, and I want to be sensitive here, but you're quoted in chapter 8 about witnessing a fellow staff member really struggle and then eventually step away from the ministry during the pandemic. Without getting into too much detail, can you tell us a little bit about the story and the pressures that you and your staff endured during the pandemic? Sure, yeah. So I would want to start out by saying that I think Overall, our church was was pretty prepared for the pandemic and George Floyd and all that. Um, we were heavily influenced by Tim Keller and his ministry, and we'd been honestly preaching Jeremiah 29 for years and really encouraging people that direction. So I, I would say the vast majority of our people were very much like, sure, how do we love love our neighbor? And so that was the experience overall. 
However, there definitely were challenges. Whenever you start a church, you gather people around a vision, but there's inevitably going to be people that come that buy into most of the vision, but but maybe they like certain aspects of your church. But whenever you say this or you say that or you respond this way or that way, they may not like that. And so there was just one edge that lashed back at some of our, our COVID protocols and some of the things that we had honestly been saying about racial justice for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that caused not so much personal distress. It caused some financial stress, honestly. So that impacted our budget quite a bit. Even though it was just like you count the, the families on one hand, it still had an impact. Now, during that time, I know this isn't what the podcast is about, but it's just real life. My my wife was going through breast cancer. Mm. And so I ended up going on leave during part of that. And that was our elders encouraging that. And I'm really grateful for that. That kind of shifted some of the pressure to other people on the staff. You know, I, I kind of wrestle with that if, if, you know, sometimes if I stepped out too much. But, but you know, others um, had those hard conversations with people. And, and that just was cumulatively difficult. And, you know, there, there was this feeling, I'm in Missouri, and there was stress about the pandemic in that our local government took a more cautious approach, which is where, where we were more as a church, but our state took more of a free-for-all approach. And that kind of led a lot of gray areas there where we, we really were trying to honor the civic authorities in our city. But then you could look around and other churches weren't, weren't doing that. And so that's one aspect that was kind of hard on leadership too. And there were definitely situations where people that were kind of on the edges, they didn't necessarily appreciate or even really care about some of the precautions. And so they would just slide into other places. And that doesn't really affect the day-to-day serving or giving or anything like that, but it just kind of impacts the critical mass and kind of can mm. can mess with the the psyche. Yeah. And so anyway, a lot of that pressure went to one of our other pastors, and it was just extremely difficult, caused a lot of distress and tension. And um, it was it was it was hard on on leadership. Again, even in a church where I feel like the vast majority of the people were extremely supportive. Yeah. So in terms of your church moving forward and the impact of that, where are you guys at now in terms of leadership? How has that impacted staff, your vision, your congregation, you know, the aftermath of of all those events? Yeah, I mean there I feel like we're recovering and I feel like we're taking some good steps back. There there still are a lot of people that are tired and people that are um scared, you know, they're, they're still trying to get people back into the rhythms of biblical community. There have been mm-hmm. some people that they don't want to call this, but did deconstruct during the whole thing. And that's something that I'm really sympathetic toward because as I, as I looked at a lot of the stuff that was going on and that was going on in the, the name of Christ, um, I wasn't on the verge of quote deconstructing, but man, I was so disheartened and, and I'm a, I'm a pastor, you know? And so there are pe- people like that, but, but anyway, we're, we're slowly recovering, we're really seeking to re-emphasize the need for biblical community that goes deep to the heart. We recently were trained in this thing called restore groups that, that Robert and Karen Chong at Sojourn in Louisville have created that is an in-church way to care for souls better. And so we are embarking on this new journey of being very intentional in discipleship of the heart and, and care for souls that I think this uh, was a, you know, part of the, the impetus toward that. 
as you look back on the pandemic and all the pressures, obviously there's, you know, there's a lot that we can't control. You can't control if your wife gets breast cancer, you can't control all the circumstances. Are there any changes that you would make back then or changes to your leadership structure, to the way that your church is run and is operated, or are you looking to make any changes moving forward? I think what I would say, it sounds really basic, but I think we are uh, focusing more on emotional, spiritual health of our mm. leadership, but but also our, our people. I think that's the key for the Christian life, just being ready for trials. And so we're going to just be more intentional about that as a conversation, as a priority, prioritizing sabbaticals of our elder team, but also leaders. Again, just trying to foster really deep discipleship in people. So maybe just more of a a long-term macro approach. You know, we have a a plurality of elders, a combination of lay and pay that I I feel like leadership is shared. I feel like we have a a healthy staff and I think we've come out of the the pandemic, I'd say even healthier, but um, we, we come out just thinking, okay, so what we went through was terrible. We need to recover. But probably the the best way to recover is the same way to really fortify us for the the Mm. next thing that comes up. Terry, in the conclusion of the chapter, you write, we can't return to Egypt. I know one of the things that you wrestled with in terms of this topic and that you feel strongly about is the way forward for pastors and churches in terms of leadership. And we don't necessarily want to point fingers and place blame, but what are some of the changes in thinking and planning that need to happen if churches in America want to avoid future erosion and potentially even worse leadership crises down the road? I do think the pandemic is a bit of a a wake-up call for us to think about some of the things that have been, I guess, unexamined for quite some time. Brent mentioned it earlier, and you've heard me say it on a previous episode, that attractional ministry has been found wanting, and a lot of us have been relying on it for our, our ministries. And, you know, we've got a couple of other research projects coming out. I just, a, a new book around the corner from another set of authors I'm pretty excited about, examining the decreasing attendance of church. And I, I think it's a great day for the church. It's hard to be, as you said in the, in the chapter, it's hard to be sanguine about the future of the pastorate, but something needs to change. And my hope is that we experience a renewal like we did in the early 70s when it felt like you know things were pretty dire in 73. And so some of the things currently are the cultural and economic challenges. Those are real. Aaron, you and I have talked mm-hmm. about that, that churches are asking, even talking to you all at Church Salary about ways that they can help with the funding of their budgets and pay for a staff person to lead them and shepherd them well in this day and age when there's so many demands economically. And I think denominations also have, have talked to me. I know they've talked to you as well about helping them examine ways to find how to help fund churches and support them through the ups and downs. I also think pastoral development and support. There's so many avenues to the pastorate now, and we've seen seminaries and colleges close every year now. And so that's a, a real value, I think, that needs to be elevated. We need to have clear reasons for formal education, I think, for the theological development. We need to value it as a congregation that our people that are teaching us have trained theological perspectives so that they can be sure that they're being steered correctly. 
And then I also think that how we talk about pastors is important. We've tried to be super balanced in this project. That Not everything is doom and gloom, but we did want to tell the stories of the churches that were struggling. And I do think that anytime there's a problem in a church, it gets elevated to the national headlines. And can we get to leadership structures that doesn't pivot around a single person again? You know, it yeah. seems to be real popular right now. We hint at it a little bit at the end of this chapter, but I still marvel that churches allow a smaller group of elders around a single person at the top. And again, it goes back to the idea of checks and balances. And and we've got stories around the country from churches and denominations where a lack of checks and balances, a lack of communal commitment is our undoing. And I, I yeah. think that that's another thing. And And I'm hopeful. We've got the message for the day, and yet we get in its way. Yeah. I think one of the biggest ways that we set ourselves up for failure is by creating these single points of failure at the heart of congregations, right? We build an entire congregation, the entire leadership structure around one individual. And no matter how talented they might be or capable they might be in the moment, they just have to stub their toe one time. They have to have one scandal and it can take the entire church down. And it definitely made me question that. We, we have highlighted in the chapter one specific church, uh, Heartland Community Church in uh, Kansas, that used the resignation of their senior pastor to radically transform their leadership structure and say, hey, instead of having one person that the whole church is centered around, let's have multiple co-equal lead pastors. And I really hope that more churches would be evaluating those kinds of things as we move forward. Brent, as I've noted, you're on the front lines. You're an executive pastor. You're doing this work on a daily basis. And while Terry and I work with pastors and we're involved in our local churches and we're technically doing the work, we're not on the ground in the same way that you are. As you start to gain some distance from COVID-19, what do you see are some of those important lessons that the American church needs to learn in terms of leadership, both uh, pastoral, and then maybe even in terms of lay leadership as well. Yeah, I think Terry already began to hit on some of that, this idea of a team-focused ministry, both in collaboration and ministry partnership, from senior to leadership all the way down. And so I think that's so important, as you said, that so much of our ministry history as a church in America has been focused on individuals. And no individual has all of the gifting that's needed for the church. That's what we see in Scripture, right? We're all gifted and we're all needed by the church, and each of our gifts matter in the church. And so it matters in the same way with leadership. There's not one leader that now contains every spiritual gift that's needed. And so how do we structure and lead in those ways? Uh, that comes in the way the staffing structures, but I even think even more so comes in the way that we develop ministry core teams of lay leaders that have partnered alongside the leader in, in a way that is more equal that they can speak into the ministry, that they are trained and equipped and challenged to think more deeply about ministry and why we do what we do and have ownership and say in, in how that plays out. I think that helps in any of those transitionary periods where there's a steadiness to ministry mm. as even full-time, I, I sometimes hate to use that term, as full-time <laughs> staff transition where the lady are able to create that consistency across those transitions. Or even just in teams, as you think through how might teams be shared differently, roles. Mm -hmm. I think another aspect is just in the type of leader that we're looking for in the church. And we said this before earlier in the conversation, moving from a specialist to what does it mean mm -hmm. to be a generalist as a pastor, minister, shepherd in the church? And what does that mean? 
yes, we may carry out some specialized functions or have some skill sets in that way, but how are we really shepherding people along in their own discipleship and in our leadership that way? And so I'm constantly looking for a team that is pastoral or shepherding first, adaptive and being flexible, realizing that things are constantly changing and COVID has shown us that, as well as being developers over doers. Mm. I don't want to hire somebody just to do the ministry. I want to hire somebody that's going to invest in and develop others to come alongside them in ministry. Because even as a church grows, you can't staff, especially in our current financial state as a church, you can't staff for that growth. You have to develop for that growth. And so I think we sometimes lack the internal mechanisms for that. And we also have a variety of studies have already noted just the uh, atrophy of serving within the church because of COVID. And so we're in this time Mm. frame where that's even more needed, but even more felt. I think the last thing I look at too is just and how we care for our team. And this is something that because of my role, I'm constantly thinking about how do I care, equip, and develop my team, not just when it's crisis time, but when it's regularly going on. And so in the care, yeah. I'm constantly thinking about in just the the, the mental, social, spiritual uh, help. And so how do we help our, our team understand that it's okay to have counseling help, especially mm. with for as much care as they are doing for individuals, having somebody that, that they're able to speak with that helps care for them is is key. And then how do we care in our compensation? And I'm not just saying this in a monetary mm. uh, salary sense, but how is the church creative in the way that it compensates pastors, knowing that the reality is we can't keep up with the secular mm. world in, in compensation, but we can be creative in a variety of ways to help in things that are more tangible, especially as we are asking for such an intentional load of, of caring for people. How do we shepherd and, and equip in that shepherding for everyday ministry? And so it's not for me so much about higher education for everybody. I, the theological piece that Terry already talked about is so key. Uh, but so many times we think of development as just another educational piece. But what is some of mm-hmm. the really tangible everyday ministry aspects of doing ministry together and what that looks like from hospital visitation yeah. to just pastoral conversations and things like that? And then thinking through the development of them and giving them avenues of development, speaking into different things in the church. And so I'm constantly thinking of that holistically for our team and really trying to create a well-rounded team that cares for one another, but then cares for our congregation well. Definitely. Well, thank you both for talking about this topic. I know that it's something that is near and dear to all of our hearts, both having served in leadership capacities in churches, and then Brent, you're currently still working in vocational ministry. So yeah, just thank you guys for your heart on this topic. My prayer is that churches would be able to look back confidently at what happened during the pandemic to take an open, honest assessment, and then be willing to take steps now to prepare for the next crisis. Because, you know, the truth is we don't know what's uh, around the corner. And uh, too often we put off making changes, making fixes, improving things until it's too late and it's in the moment. And it's a lot easier to get your tires changed before you go on a trip than uh, changing a tire on the side of the road. (laughs) And I think too often we end up in that situation in the church. So thanks, guys. Thank you. It's a good conversation. A lot more to to come. COVID and the Church is a production of Church Salary, a ministry of Christianity Today. Executive producers are Aaron Hill, Terry Linhart, and Matt Stevens. Host, Aaron Hill. COVID and the Church is produced in conjunction with the Arbor Research Group and funded by the Lilly Endowment Incorporated through a grant from the Economic Challenges Facing Pastoral Leaders Initiative. Director for CT Media is Matt Stevens. 
Tyler Bradford Wright is our audio engineer, editor, and composer. Artwork provided by Ryan Johnson. And our art director is Sarah Gordon. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.